Who is it? In my seat. Shake it. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2016. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Three, two, one. Kim. Welcome back to Claim the Throne Blodgecast, where we release a lot of episodes most weeks. <laughs> At least have been lately. How you going, Ash? Yeah, pretty good. That's how many? Will this be three or four weeks in a row? This might be like four weeks in a row, which is out of control. Yeah. Unprecedented for us. Wow. Pretty special. Yeah. I hope Stu McGill, you're appreciating it, mate. (laughs) Um, What's been happening in the cabs? Oh, God. Uh, I don't know. Like, not much, but also a lot, I guess. A lot of um, annoying things outside of music. Hmm. In terms of music, I don't know, a bit of... uh, gear research perhaps uh a little bit of playing the acoustic guitar lately Mm. got a um new acoustic set announced for next year um so needing to get back into that a bit learning some some old doozies and possibly some covers too uh no bit of bit of behind the scenes band promo i guess trying to build up a little bit of a um online press kit for live shows um building like a bit of a repertoire of press kits to be honest so like different ones that will go to one would go to a record label one would go to a promoter one would go to uh people doing our music videos just like a different one for each thing Hmm. so that's been pretty cool um listening to lots of metal yeah lots of different music last week so uh that's been fun guess we'll get into that in the album of the week at the end of the podcast hmm uh, and don't know. That's a battle. About you, killer. Oh, nothing, man. Any of that shit you want to touch on? Um, not. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, the gear thing. Um, don't ask me sort of where this came from, but or why, or why. But my mind sparked back to the conversation we had. It was immediately following the recording. Like, how could we streamline it for the next album a bit? And yeah, I had mentioned it would kind of be beneficial if each person could kind of take care of themselves a little bit more um uh that's might sound a bit weird but you know that trouble you have when you go in the studio and you're expected to perform then and there and that's it Mm -hmm. like this riff that you've been you wrote eight months ago um you've been practicing for the last month and you've been nailing it for the last week you have to get in and at that exact moment in time even if you're not feeling it, despite whether you're warmed up properly or anything, you just have to nail it. And it's not always sort of feasible to expect the best performance from everyone when it's convenient for the engineer as well as the performer. So I thought it would be pretty cool if maybe on the next album we look into the idea of possibly getting Cabba some similar uh, guitar chain to what he'd be using while... Um, while I was recording him and same goes for Jesse as well. Like, uh, getting, getting her set up. She's partially set up with that as are you, um, in terms of MIDI and stuff like uh, recording keyboard. Um, so yeah, so basically the guitars and the keyboards are reampable. So it's not so much about getting the sounds spot on, on the day. It's more about getting the performances and just when things are kicking, just to make sure there's a record button handy and that the end product will still sound really good. Yeah, right. So, 
So what's the way of doing that? So, I mean, what do you need for it to be acceptable for album quality recording? Well, in all honesty, you you probably don't actually need anything different than what you have. See, at the moment, mm. um, for listeners, Cabby uses a Focusrite Scarlet, which is a like a moderate entry-level piece of gear, like an audio interface, which sounds good. And yeah, but he plugs through his Kemper into the focus right and so what that sort of does is it's um the kemper's being put in charge of doing the converting the signal from a an analog guitar signal to a digital recorded signal through using this interface as a hub um and you can't reamp that again later like it's just with the tone of the kemper just burnt into the track there is a way with the kemper that you can record uh, both a DI and a recorded tone, like a, sorry, a, an amp tone at the same time. But I, my thing is I got such a big step up moving from my Pro Tools, like, uh, what was it? Mbox Pro. I've had like three different Mboxes over the years. And I found that when I moved to an Apogee quartet, which is what I've had for the last few years now, just the difference, same guitars, same uh, software amps just for demoing suddenly sounded 10% better. And even when we were recording or 10%, probably 50% better, even when we were recording, Dicey was like, wow, this tone sounds great. And I thought that's really funny because that's the same tone that, that we were just using for like a guide, guide sounds on the last album. It's just the only thing that's different literally is the interface. So I thought maybe there's something to that. Like maybe there is really a difference in this conversion because i thought i noticed it didn't mention it dicey noticed it everyone sort of seemed to think it sounded good so i thought maybe there's this product by apogee called an apogee jam and what that is is that it's got an apogee converter in a little you know 100 mil long stick where you plug a lead in one end and the other end is a usb cable that plugs into a computer and yeah the idea is you just play one track of guitar into it at a time so I thought that's a good way and it's a hundred and there's a new version of it now, which means that the older version is 140 bucks brand new. So there's probably even cheaper ones out there on the second hand market. But yeah, the older one would be fine. I'll take it. Well, the newer one just allows you to go to a higher sample rate. Um, so you can record at 24 bit 96 K, but recording at that high level is crazy like the file size that's double the sample rate we used on the last two albums and mm. some people al from Begurk, in fact used to just record i'm not sure if he's still doing this but he was recording at 44.1 kilohertz sample rate and i told him on forged in flame we were doing 48 and he's like oh do you you know do you really need to do that kind of thing and it raises the question like do you really need to and so I don't. I certainly don't think you need to jump up to 96 because I've had pretty good results with 48. And the the older model of the jam offers, I think, 44.1 and 48k. So if it's the same same essential signal, like a just it's like a DI with a built-in converter at the same sample rate that we're recording the album at, that's perfect, right? Yeah, awesome. Um, I like the idea of it especially um for the reasons you well the yeah the problems you mentioned at the start um and I, i've heard of quite a few bands that 
do it that way. You know, they might even just be one man projects and they just sit at home and do it as they go. And by the time it's ready, the whole band comes together and learns them all, um, that sort of way of doing it. And it, it makes you wonder, like, the amount of bands out there that manage to just release an album every two years consistently, they must just have this down pat. Like, who gets time to do that much writing and that much recording and releasing and touring and everything just ongoing whilst having a job? Mm. So, I mean, any anything that can be more efficient in terms of writing and recording, I think, is, is good in that regard as well. Um, but yeah, especially like you say, if you're just practicing at home sometimes and you're just really feeling it and really nailing it and there's no pressure and whatever and you can do it there and then and then work with it later mm. when you're um, assembling the album, I think that's pretty awesome. Um, does that Apogee Jam thing have any other crazy options like could you use it at a jam, for example, hence the name? <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> or is you it could. more for your own jam? I think the... Like, I- could you plug that into a... And I mean, you can take an iPad to a jam room or something, perhaps. Yeah. So the the jam is it's like a Mac based thing. I think they're coming out for Windows and Mac, the new version these days. Um, but they were mainly made for Mac and iOS. So iPad, iPhone, i I guess iPod Touch, if that's that probably works. Um, but it's not very practical to record. It's more like forgetting ideas down like a little digital notebook kind of thing because you're not practically going to be able to piece together a whole entire song using this little device because your phone itself or your ipad itself isn't capable of accepting a large amount of tracks and plugins and all that stuff that's why you need a, a computer a laptop with external hard drives and all that sort of stuff but of course yeah but in terms of jamming you could feasibly get your iphone plug it in via the lightning connector Um, and yes this is pretty limiting for android users but you can get other things like uh, i can't remember who does it but someone does a thing called irig Um, and owen our friend owen thomas i don't know if he's got the actual irig but was definitely looking into it Um, and the idea of that is you, you plug in same thing lightning cable or whatever it is on an android and then I guess the output, the headphone jack, you plug that into a desk or something and you've got little virtual amps on your phone um, and a few companies make their amps for phone apps and, yeah, you could just run it through a PA. So it kind of, mm. you know, could be pretty cool. Um, I assume you couldn't perform with it live instead of an amp. Uh, I'm sure you could. That Point Breakdown gig that we did that time, um, Owen his idea was to get the iRig because he only plays a solo every song and that's it. The rest, he doesn't even play guitar. So he just thought it would be (laughs) a cool idea to have just this little tiny rig. So he didn't have to bring a whole extra amp. Um, And yeah, just pick up the guitar and just shred a solo through the phone and then put it back down again and sing for the rest of the time. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that, that sort of serves its purpose in that respect, but I'm not quite sure that, it's there yet. But but you know what? I'm, I thought the Faceless were using a guitar rig through MacBooks or something when they played in Perth. I remember seeing yeah, laptops on stage. Yeah, I thought maybe one used a Kemper and the other one just plugged straight through his, his audio interface. So, mm. it could, you know, it, it could work. But 
I think for a band like us, when we spend a whole episode talking about whether to have a $3,500 Kemper or $2,500 worth of analog amp gear, it's a pretty massive step to be jumping down to an <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting nonetheless. And you know, yeah. Good for people to, to know what's out there. Yeah, pretty um, interesting. But yeah. I think that's cool. And the other side of it, I think that would be the biggest step up, bigger than the sound quality, because that's only one part of it. The performance is obviously a huge part. So getting the freedom to do it when you're vibing is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the the third, and this is, I think, the most critical thing, is getting used to the idea of not just playing to a click track, but playing in a recording setting. Because in the past, you've given me demos and a lot of the time you're like oh yeah you know that i'm just mucking around with that it's sort of halfway there you get the idea and i'd go yeah i do get the idea i can sort of figure out what i'm going to do along to this and we're always kind of pushing it down the track to be professional when like like sorry create a professional product when we're doing an album and the demo is just a rough and ready thing um but what i'm thinking is that because I don't set up my amps, for instance, when I play guitar, I'm almost always playing through the computer. And I'd, it's just such a like a simple thing for me to like record 200 takes in a row of a guitar where I'm engineering myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can lightning quick. I can, you know, stop, start, start recording, undo, go again, move to a different part of the song. Um, change to a different track, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's it, after a while, it becomes like just second nature to make demos that sound like pretty close to like good products. And then mm-hmm. it, it would just be a matter and, you know, and just not not really doing any editing because you'd, it's so easy to just play the same riff until you're really good at playing it in one go. And um, yeah, then that signal if it's a nice clean DI signal can then be used on the final product and just be reamped and, and you're done, you know, yeah. still got to put proper drums and proper bass and all that crap and vocals and everything. But yeah, I think it would be really sweet if you came to me and said, Hey Ash, um, time to do my songs. Here's a guide track. It is literally the track that's going to be on the, on the CD or whatever. So play along to that. Yep. So Oh man, I'm all for giving that a shot for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, especially if there's those gadgets out there and they're that cheap. Crazy not to give it a shot at least. Yeah, and, and um, pres- presumably it is a it is a step up on the sound you've got on the focus right. But at the same time, it's it's more of the concept. Um, it just makes it. I know you like things to be simple. This thing doesn't require any power. It's self powered off the USB yeah. hub, so you just plug in and play. Yep. Yeah, cool, cool as. Um, in terms of our chat about the Kemper last week, um, I did get in touch with them via email. Hmm. Um, didn't really get too far. Uh, yeah, no, no sweet offers or deals to um, to cross grade or anything like that. Unfortunately, um, they were more sort of trying to troubleshoot the actual ideas that I had. Uh, the actual issues that I had mm-hmm. and um, 
Yeah, they replied so quick. So I don't know if they're just sitting there answering this stuff all day. They must have people, yeah, on on the books who are just an- answering troubleshooting issues and stuff. Um, yeah, they sort of sounded a bit angry at my things. They were like, "We need more information." It wouldn't just oh to to remind you, a couple of the issues were like, um, uh, it just will turn it so uh, not turn itself off, but it'll just stop working. There'll just be no noise or nothing. It won't won't respond to me every now and again um and sporadically the the rigs that i have set up in my perform mode will just reset um so they were sort of saying you know that 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 wouldn't happen even though it does happen Mm -hmm. um but yeah i guess the obvious one that i should have thought of before was making sure i've got the latest firmware so yeah. I've got to up- <laughs> upgrade that obviously yeah, um and also they were suggesting well demanding not to use any out, uh, non-kemper related items with it even though i didn't say that i use a behringer pedal mm-hmm. i think they sort of knew that that might be the case um so a few things for me to try and that might fix a lot of the problems anyway but it still did sound like a load of wank mm. um, to an extent. <laughs> uh, but I'll keep you posted on that one anyway. See how I go with a, a bit a bit of my own troubleshooting and, and their advice. Yeah, it's a fucking tough one because it is a great little unit. But um, yeah, unfortunately, you were in on the ground floor and that promise that they had, that's what kind of does ship me is the promise that they had at the start that they would release something that could be retrofitted as a power amp to it never ended up happening. And yeah. And their response to, to me about having to plug in my extra power amp that really annoys me because I play a lot of shows all the time and always, and love my Kemper, but I hate using a power amp Yeah, was pretty much saying don't use external devices. And if you would like one with the built-in power amp, we suggest that you buy the latest Kemper and linked me to the um yeah. the new version that has the built-in the power amp. Yeah, that sucks because like I remember reading that thing when you first not when you first got it obviously, but I think the first time I read that they were offering a cross grade, it was for a limited time and we'd already read it too late. And it's like yeah. unless you're just like obsessed with checking up, checking up, like you never knew that it wasn't ever going to be available. So why would you constantly be checking the internet to see for only for them to tell you that you've got a limited time to spend an extra this much money or whatever it was to get it. Yeah. And now the new Kemper prices are like a thousand dollars more than your original price. It's like fucking hell. Yeah. And now they have the, um, you know, the dedicated foot switch, which again, costs so much money. It's like a hundred bucks just for a foot switch. Mm. And was never um, out. Which- Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be worth it if you could just get, you know, pay a few hundred extra when you get the unit mm. um, to, as an extra. But, yeah, to, to fork out that money for an additional item after the fact is a bit bit crazy. I mean, the community boards and forum and stuff is pretty active. So, I think a lot of people do go on there a lot of the time. But, I mean, yeah, you're sort of relying on fans of the equipment to share the information mm. around. Um, but anyway, interesting nonetheless. See what happens with that. Yeah, it makes me um, think that you should probably start really, if you're going to keep it, really exploring how to use it without mm. a cab. Um, and that could include asking a sound guy 
if you, or just sort of learning enough about stage monitoring just to say, hey, is it cool if I plug this direct into the one in front of me? Yeah. So I've got enough of me or I, I don't know how it would quite work, but mm. something, you know. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, if it goes down, even if you still used the TC Electronics thing um, and ran a cab, if you had a second output and then that was somewhat put in the PA just so if the cab went down, you were still good and the front of house was still good. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems to me that the cab's more about you on stage monitoring than it is about the audience because like like Sam Allen was saying, um, it's it can be more beneficial to um, be pumping a different signal out to the crowd. A, because if the other one goes down, um, the sound guy might be able to diagnose why because it might be on his end or B, Y, C, um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have that feedback problem where you're pumping the microphone, your amp is mic'd up, it comes back out through the monitor. The monitor is sort of facing where the, the original cab and the microphone are and it creates a feedback loop. So none of that sort of shit would ever happen either. Um so yeah yeah definitely we'll look into that i think um it has to be done at mm. this point and we do have a few gigs coming up now as well so I'd, and you know, i'd like to like to nail it a bit i guess um on that note that's uh january 13th amplifier bar in perth uh for uh a claim the throne headlining set uh 15th anniversary for prime cuts music which also has our mates silent night releasing their new EP, The Angel Reborn. So check that out and uh, Grotesque and Solemn as well. Uh, and then February, we're playing Rust in Perth Festival at the Civic. And then we also have an acoustic set, which I think will be good fun. Haven't done that for a while. That's in March mm. 25th. And it's actually for the big Storm Rider Festival in Perth as well. You can get tickets for that at OzTix. And uh, there's some pretty awesome power and thrash and Viking metal happening at that one. As well, including an appearance of Razor Ray, so looking forward to that. But, uh, do you have any thoughts on the upcoming shows, on uh, what you'd like from our set, or uh, I don't know, any things that could be done differently, or looking forward to, or dreading, etc.? Dreading having to jam again. I, I forgot that we had that bloody gig on the 13th. <laughs> mm. I, yeah, I, I didn't think the next one was for ages, so... No wonder everyone's been talking about jamming recently because we've got a bloody gig soon. <laughs> um, here's here's me. I've still been practicing drums here and there, but not as not as much as I would would have if I realised there was a bloody gig. But we've got a <laughs> solid month and a bit, so yeah, guess yeah. I'm gonna have to pull the finger out. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I think it'll be a good chance to get hopefully a few. Um, well, I'm, I'm hoping to try a few smaller jams with just having a few of the band members together per time uh, without you while you get your chops up or cook um, gnocchi or whatever you do in your spare time yeah. and um, and yeah really focus on getting um, getting the tar- guitarist solid and um, working in with the keyboards properly and just being super musical and ready to go by the time we hit the full band jam mm. um, and um, I mean yeah wow. even even we're not playing gigs I guess I'd still like to, to do the jam at least every now and again just to remain a band and that sort of thing yeah for sure no i agree um yeah it's just that funny time of year with all 
everyone's starting to go away on holidays, like not necessarily in the band. Silly but, season. <laughs> yeah, just at work. Everything Feels gets... like that. There's parties and there's yeah. shit going on all over the place. Yeah, all sorts of shit. Crazy. Yeah, I was pretty drunk all weekend and didn't even do anything really of note. But, M- me uh, too. <laughs> so, funny stuff. Yeah. What about um, acoustic set? Any ideas for that? Are you going to be on stage for that one? Yes. And cool. Yeah. Drum kit? No. Or other? guitar. Um, How many guitars are we going to have? Five. I don't know. Are we? Don't know. I think, um, I think our keyboard player wants to play guitar. Oh, that's probably uh, just for one song, I think. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I would just play guitar. I think for me, an acoustic set's like it's hard to get together a kit that's appropriate. So yeah. I'm always like playing on a full blown kit or something, borrowing someone else's or whatever it may be. And it's always way too loud for the show. And so I've, I think I've tried with brushes and stuff before, but because I'm not that kind of a, um, a drummer, uh, please give me two seconds. Three, two, come. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I guess, yeah. The only other way is like, you know, not having a kit and doing percussion or whatever, but that tends to sound a bit lame. So I like the idea of it's, it, it's more because it's never prepared. So, like, if I was a kick-ass percussionist or I had some wicked idea and that, that's what a jam would be useful for is, like, jamming this shit. We never do it. We just sort of get it together and know that know that we're all going to be able to do something. So, this time, like, I'd probably just like the set list in advance, like, and that's my bad. Like, usually I don't give a fuck. I just rock up and do something. But, yeah, this time I'll, I'll probably do that. I'll just figure out what I think those songs would be good with as an extra person and whatever I do, I'll make it. Cause that's the other thing is when I've played guitar at the acoustic shows in the past, I've just played the chords that yep. everyone else is playing anyway. So it might be cool to maybe try and think outside the box a little bit, or maybe grab onto other parts that, um, that I know you guys might not play. Like you'd be doing all the chords and the main melodies and stuff. Maybe, I could experiment and do some of the harmonies to some of the shit that's going on. Man, if I can get freed up a bit, a bit you know, I, I wouldn't even mind just doing some vocals and perhaps even percussion yeah. myself or something. Really change it up. Yeah, anything like that. I even had some crazy ideas, but I don't know how you'd, <laughs> how you'd like a uh, like a Stratocaster with a small combo amp on stage and some <laughs> with, um, yeah. you know, like chorus pedals and delays or whatever you know like just like little textury things um yep. that that was just some shit i was thinking about but yeah cool. i was gonna wait till not a podcast to talk to you about that <laughs> but there you go <laughs> sorry now that sounds cool to me man i'll be i'll be up for at least giving it a shot yeah um but if not just the old classic acoustic because the other problem is the miking up situation like kind of fucking 200 mics on stage and I don't have an electric acoustic, so yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of guitaring, Paul Gilbert, not bad. So you've been listening to the albums, or uh, pretty much just that uh, album slash EP one, whatever it is. Uh, I can destroy whatever it's called. Yeah. I um, and I stumbled across that. Like I was, I watched a couple of the um, sort of more guitar based videos and 
stuff on YouTube just to get my head around him a bit. And then I think I just left it and it just popped up with one of those songs, uh, as mm. YouTube does. And I was like, this is pretty rocking. And um, looked and realized where I had landed on YouTube. Mm. And um, just like really digging the songwriting and stuff. Super interesting. And it's just not, it's not constant shred, but um, just cool riffs, solid writing, um, interesting timing and some different stuff. And really catchy lyrics and and vocals. Uh, so wicked, awesome. wicked production. I love like the bass tone and, yeah. and just how how um cl- not not like clinically clear, but just how like um everything sort of has its own space. It's like nice and crisp and yeah, it's cool. Very nice. Yeah, wicked. And you you dug a few of his YouTube videos, eh? Like just the technique ones. Yeah, I, I didn't sort of get to sit down and really um, try them out in depth or anything, but I was just watching them out of curiosity and looked super interesting. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be spending a bit more time going into that next week or whatever. But are there any that you'd recommend more than others? Uh, not really. I've sort of watched all of his shit a billion times. I think the ones that you watched were uh what he uploads as part of his like exclusive content and some chump has yeah. just pirated them and chucked them online so right right probably shouldn't feel too great about seeing him but at the same time they're out there and uh, what, so what does he have like a subscription thing or something yeah i, I might have mentioned it a few weeks ago but yeah he has a mm-hmm. um he has a thing where you sign up for it's something phenomenally cheap for what it is mm. it's like $100 for a year um and in perspective, it would be $100 for like four lessons in real life of just your regular guitar teacher down the street. Yeah. Um, and what you get is access to all the stuff he's put online. And it's a list like he'll have the basics and then he'll go into like pentatonics and then he'll go into, um, you know, the the right hand, like the picking hand and then move on to advanced stuff, moving up arpeggios and string skipping and then all the stuff that he's known for doing but he gives you you know he gives you the option to start from scratch with him and then if you you are a subscribing member i think if you're there's probably different tiers but if you're the top tier which is only paying 100 bucks or 200 bucks tops a year um you get to upload a video of yourself playing and then he'll film a video responding to your video and upload it yeah, awesome. Which is pretty incredible. Um, and I, and I'm not sure, but I think it might be like a, a big exchange. So everyone who does lessons might be able to see his video back to you, which mm-hmm. I think, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I really like the, his idea, how he just breaks down everything into basic patterns and basic ideas and doesn't he, he doesn't get too bogged down in the theory of it because that can, that can be a real buzzkill, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and and all guitar is is pretty, um, it's pretty isolated to like a full like the first twelve frets are just mirrored again on the second half of the guitar. So, if you just learn like chunks of the guitar at a time, you will find familiar things going throughout, and before you know it, you know, um, you're not really playing anything too crazy but if you can play a c in three different spots on the guitar it gives the same chord three different sounds or feels or whatever um yeah it's pretty it's pretty sweet yeah 
cool. Hmm. I love it. Um, yeah. You successfully um, made the major scale sound dark? Nah, not really. I think I kind of <laughs> half failed at that. Still sounds a bit like happy. No, I don't think so. Yeah. What you do with it is cool. I've just been uh, pretty much working on the same stuff I have been the last uh, few weeks. Just um, just getting a bit more solid at it and starting to get more comfortable with my new picking technique and um, picking up the speed a bit again. So that's uh, it's paying off, I think. So um, does it does that feel really different? Like just like physically holding a pick in a different way? Yeah, it does. Um, and it's really hard to keep at it because it's just so easy and tempting to just go back to my normal way because I know I can play something but I can't play it properly when I'm trying out my new mm. technique but I think yeah just, just sticking to it for a bit and it doesn't feel weird anymore um, and I'm sort of getting more results with less effort mm. if you know what I mean um, even you know trim picking wise like all of a sudden I just sound like I'm cleaner and faster mm. but putting in less effort Wow. And it's like I don't even realize that it sounds a bit tighter than it normally would. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. But proof will be in the pudding. See how we go. Um, are you... And, I can't remember if we covered this, but are you doing things like... I know when you play thrash riffs or like the thrashier at the gate style riffing, you always start downbeats on upstrokes. Are you mucking around with the opposite yeah i'm trying not to do that now um is that fucking i'm just trying to be a bit uh, a little bit but i'm just trying to be more aware of what i'm doing rather than just letting my fingers decide for me Mm -hmm. um so i'm trying them in different ways and whatever and it would depend on the riff on how i do it but yeah i'm pretty conscious of of how i'm doing it um guess the most recent riff i learned this week was judas priest painkiller hmm (laughs) <laughs> which I stumbled across recently for some retarded reason, but that entire album is pretty spectacular, mm-hmm. um, especially guitar-wise too. There's a riff in that which normally I'd be like, I don't know, I would probably default to starting with an upstroke. Mm-hmm. Um, e- either do it as an upstroke and just sort of, uh, every time I get to the the um, the A string, I would sort of upstroke it. Or you would do the whole thing down-picking, I guess. Yeah, um, and really stabbing those those standout riffs. But then the way I've been sort of trying to train myself for the last few weeks is is alternate. So and starting on the down and just sort of letting it flow that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's it's just yeah nice being able to try out different stuff and seeing seeing how it goes. Then I tried to learn the solo and that failed. But um, but nonetheless, even even learning guitar solos that. I can't play. You still get a few little awesome licks out of trying to learn it, and if you really slow them down, it's um, it's pretty effective, and you still just totally slow the click down, and um, and just yeah, take your fingers on a journey that they haven't been to before. Mm. And it is funny when you break down something that is like sounds incredibly difficult. And then when you play it, uh, when you hear it super slow, you go, oh, fuck, it's just like little groups of like three or four notes just played yeah. in succession. That's it. I mean, you watch some of the um, little training videos on YouTube, even of something like sweep picking, 
Mm. And they sort of go do it really slow at the beginning. Or oh, I mean, they normally give you a bit of a demo of what they're leading to, but they'll just it's just sounds like not the same at all when it's gone slow and it's just like focusing on your technique and you know, yeah, sweeping the pick more than anything else. Mm. Um, and then by the end of the video, they're just going so fast mm. and it just sounds like something completely different. And uh, yeah, so just just time and practice and. Um, yeah, building your speed up gradually, I reckon, and, and then it all probably just flows a bit bit easier. Yeah, it's really funny. Sweet picking is something that I've, you know, I've attempted to do that since, God, like first listening to soil work friggin' 15 years ago or something. And I've never been able to do it because I don't, it's like when I slow it down, I don't really have the patience to change my whole picking style because that, that slow picking it's like you're not supposed to actually individually pluck a note they're supposed to run over the top and Mm. and i just never had the patience to do it and as a result ended up playing more like i I would strive more towards like legato playing and you know like sliding up to things and using hammer-ons and pull-offs and sort of like economy style like one pick stroke for three notes kind of thing um in little and smaller areas of of the fretboard rather than sweeping goes across all strings so i find it really impressive to see someone like jim just fucking just ripping all over the fretboard with this crazy (laughs) sort of technique i just i can't really fathom it at that speed it's insane Um, just a lot of practice and i think once you click with it then it's just you you're you're done you can yeah you can nail it every, every time um but I've all more so been practicing, like you were saying, with rather than doing that a sweep style, you'd still do a, a matching arpeggio or whatever. But but doing an alternate picking mm-hmm. style over the fretboard and actually playing each note, picking each note, mm. rather than sweeping it, which um, you know may or may not be a better way of starting. I don't know, but it's funny too because it's like cool. alternate picking. I don't know about you, but I felt it got a bit of a bad rap because of songs like Master of Puppets, for instance, which is like a really hard riff, like rhythm-wise, to play. Like, that's very quick to downpick, you know? Yeah. And then people like me would alternate pick it in high school, and I'd have, like, dudes who could fucking play it properly would tell me, like, I'm a pussy because I'm alternate picking. And so I'd always think I was the cheat's way out. But then there's really a place for alternate picking um, because that's what the basis of those extremely difficult at the gate style riffs rely on alternate picking, but skipping between strings. And if you're used to just down picking, it's like fucking almost impossible to play some of those riffs. So yeah, there's only so far you can get with your skills if you stick to that, I think. Yeah. But yeah, funny you should mention that. I was thinking the same thing, even when I was learning that painkiller song the other day. Um, I was like, you know, this is probably all down picked. Mm-hmm. And the the true elitist would be telling you to downpick the whole thing, but um, you know, I don't know, depends on on your style a lot of the time, uh, and what you're working on or whatever. But you should look you up know, as long as you can do all those things. Look up Judas what? Priest live and see, watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Master of Puppets. They do downpick all of that. Yeah, right. Those crazy bastards. Yep. Yeah. Hetfield's renowned for his right hand down picking, eh? Yeah. Oh, what I, what I do really like about you learning a song like Painkiller 
is like picking stuff that, you know, wouldn't be deemed as tech as a lot of the stuff that we're playing in Claim of Thrones songs sometimes. Um, and just, yeah, like realizing that there's a lot of merit in getting things really tight and awesome. And it's that same thing you were saying before about playing slow and working on things slow and, and improving your fast playing as a result. And same with drums, same with anything like you're never going to blast beat at any speed if you don't learn how the mechanics of it work first. Hmm. I mean, you 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 might get there, but you still got a bit of a ceiling as to how far you can really go. Like you just become a bit of a one trick pony or something like that. Mm. Or you skip beats um, and stuff. Like I hear guys all the time mm, that like yeah. miss a beat or add one too many when they're doing blasts, and then you hear like George from Nile, and it's like you can count one two three four one two three four like really quickly, and you can hear he's hitting every fucking note. Same with double yep. double kicks and fast, even fast like black metal trem. Um, you can hear when people are bunging shit. It still sounds cool, but it's, um, yeah, just it's those little subtle things that really step up the cleanliness of your playing. And I think going full circle back to treating your demoing as like almost, almost a pro recording, but on the other side of it as like professional practice, you know, like forcing you to play with a click and scrutinizing how many notes you are hitting when you're trying to play a riff and being really on top of it. So you've got your practice like you're doing and then you've got your songwriting like you do with demoing and then you've got this point that after both of those are at a certain point, the next level would be to get a really sweet version of that shit down and probably make you a better player and make your song better recorded. Totally. Agree, man. Mm. Um, yeah. All this talk of metal is starting to get me a bit excited. What have you been listening to? Uh, a few things, and pretty much thanks to Spotify again. Of course. Strangely enough, I, just, I keep just stumbling across either things that I haven't heard in years, and then they come on and I'm like hell pumped for it, and I get back into old albums or brand new things that I just, like sometimes I don't know how I haven't even known about a certain band. Um. Or sometimes, which I actually took a screen cap of and forgot to send to you. Yeah. My number one suggested song was by Nakokwin. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so some <laughs> some listeners may remember when um our friend Ned came on and gave his top fifty albums for the year or whatever it was. That's hilarious. And it was all these absurd bands and we pissed ourselves at the band Nakokwin. But uh yeah, that was right at the top. Um but uh a couple highlights this week have been, um, I think because I was listening to Painkiller, it was bringing up some some other sort of traditional metal and stuff. Um, and there's lots of Iron Maiden, which I'm not a huge Iron Maiden man myself, mm -hmm. but it did lead me to the Bruce Dickinson album, The Chemical Wedding, which I have been a fan of in the past and haven't heard in years. And um, it reminded me how that is one of the best albums in history. Mm. So I've been cranking the shit out of that. Sort of um, power metal done really heavy um, with still a traditional feel to it and Bruce Dickinson's voice, obviously. Mm. Um, awesome lyrics, catchy-ass choruses. There's a, a, a movie to go with it. Uh, so it's like a bit of a concept going on. Um, so that's been 
totally ripping. And I, I really don't have any, I don't know, sort of knowledge or whatever about Bruce Dickinson and, um, and Iron Maiden. So if there's anyone out there, Stu McGill or Ray McGill, <laughs> um, can you let us know what is the deal with how good the Chemical Wedding is? And is there any other Maiden stuff like that that is dark and heavy and... And sick even, I mean, the other Bruce Dickinson albums are okay, but they don't quite have uh, the awesomeness of that one. And also, I don't know what the um, reception to that album was when it came out or anything much, but um, but I reckon it rules. And then I also stumbled across this band the other day, which I can't believe is not a go-to on the Cabba playlist, but um, they're called Whispered. Mm. You heard of them at all? No. Argy? Finish. Think... Um, think winter sun uh sort of like melodic death but a bit bit more thrashy maybe like a winter sun cross with darkane but their whole thing is they've got a japanese theme to it uh and i actually mm. thought they were japanese at first but they they sound like finnish melodic death but um that they've just got this ridiculous um japanese feel to it all as well so there's just lots of um traditional japanese instruments and um yeah, some wild vocals and stuff, and they don't appear to even be signed to a major label, which I'm highly shocked about. Um, so, are they on Spotify? Yeah, yep. Hmm. And the latest album is called uh, Metzatan Songs of the Void. And uh, that blew my dick off straight away, to be honest. And then I've just been going through their back catalogue, and they've been, been around for quite a few years. Um and I get the feeling like the earlier stuff, maybe they were influenced a bit by Children of Bodom or something, but as they've gone on, they've um, become a bit more winter sunny or, or something like that. But a bit more thrashy, I guess less um, sort of drawn out and epic like Winter Sun, but a lot more thrashy. And um, this ja- Japanese elements they've got is highly unique. Hmm. So it would... Um, and yeah, they're, and they're musicians and a half. Man, you want to see some good guitar solos, check that band out. And they're just solid as really tight. The recordings. Uh, so that's my albums of the week. Sounds like I'm going to have to get bloody listening to Whisper. Whispered. Whispered, sorry. Jeez. Like you've just finished whispering. <sighs> you whispered. Post tense. Past tense. Kind of a dumb name and really a weird logo and it, it really looks Japanese. I was convinced they were from Japan. Hmm. Um, and they wear, I think, Japanese styled corpse paint. Yeah, it's very, um, yeah, very unusual. But that'll be what good. You, I'll, I'll check that out for sure. Sick. Um, what do you had going on? Uh, probably the album of the week for me would be Windows 95. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. I like it. Nah, um, I've been listening this week to Burst, Arajo. I don't know if that's how you say it. Do, do you know the band Burst? <laughs> Burst. Is that the band name? Nah, but I love the name. It's a band that my friend Owen, and and this is the story behind it, is that when, in since last podcast, he was asking me about, not because of the podcast, but just generally asking me about Spotify and what's the deal with that. And I was saying, hey, you love Spotify, but don't count it out just because Cabba likes it. It's, um, I like Apple Music. That's changed my life. And um, yeah, he looked into it and found out through his phone company, he can get a deal with Apple Music where it's like free streaming or something like that, which is pretty sweet. Um, I'm sure other phone companies would, would offer that with Spotify or perhaps some other streaming service. But um, 
yeah, he was just like started hammering me with all this stuff he was listening to and just blowing his mind about how it's just he's in the middle of a farm and he can just listen to the newest this and that and old albums and everything. And yeah. it got me thinking about an album that he introduced me to years and years ago called this the band is called Burst Arajo and I thought I wonder if that's on there and it was and yeah forgot how much I loved that album very different yeah right it's um oh it's hard to say what it is it's I guess it's it's in that sort of post you know there should be the word post in there something mm, um okay. but yeah they're a Swedish band and it's sort of heavy a little bit um you can hear influences from maybe like Refused and um, Opeth and um, some of the sort of noise corey sort of bands that were going around back in the sort of maybe it was like 2005 or six that album. And um, yeah, I don't know. They're still around? Uh, don't know, man. I know they either they have an album before that or one after. I'll just have a quick Google. But yeah, he's Looks got... Looks like they're on Relapse. Oh, you're searching? Which would ma- I did just then. So, which would searching. make sense for that sort of uh, <laughs> style genre you were mentioning. Yeah. Checking the shit out of it. Yeah, man. It's Yeah, it's very cool. And if you can get past his voice, because it is... It is a... It's like a yell. It's not a scream. It's definitely okay. one of those yelly sort of things. And I can see a lot of people not liking that, but... And it was hard for me to swallow at first. Oh, yeah, Lazarus okay. Bird. That's right. I remember hearing that. I'm going to go back and revisit that album. That was 2008. But, yeah, man, it's it. I actually always loved the sound of the album because it's also not, like, like, massively heavy distortion or anything. It's, like, very clean. Sounds like they play, you know, maybe strats or tellies or, or something just a bit brighter with minimal distortion but still clearly distortion and the drum sound is really crisp and sounds like a real drum kit yeah it's pretty nice man i think check it out for shower awesome you reckon um we'll get sued if we play one of their songs at the end of our podcast episode uh no oh well i don't think so let's do it cool man pick one and chuck one on yeah sweet ass and uh yeah i'll be cranking that tonight for a listen to yeah wicked um that being said i'm gonna go eat some dinner i'm gonna go make some dinner ah, what do you got oh yeah lasagna uh don't know whatever um my woman in the kitchen is doing uh so don't think it'd be anything too crazy but we did do our have a family lasagna cooking day on the weekend yeah as well which is interesting um if anyone wants to make their own lasagna sheets it's practically like an egg per cup of plain flour so if you um, pour out about four cups of flour onto the table build it into a bit of a well shape crack about four eggs in the middle or maybe one at a time get a fork just sort of whisk it in with the flour gradually crack another one whisk it in a bit crack another one and uh, and just whisk it around and before you know it you'll end up with a a ball of shit knead it knead the crap out of it Um, probably add a bit of oil and some salt for taste and then uh you need a probably a, a pasta sheet maker to um to flatten it out big time and then uh layer it put in whatever the fuck you want ideally three types of meat mince like pork and, chicken uh, and veal or something yeah exactly oh 
Literally, that's what you put in. Uh, pork, chicken, beef, My pretty yeah. much. But yeah, adult. What cow. else? Shit tons of cheese. Can I give you uh, a tip for you viewers who actually care when we talk about this shit? Um, it's don't <laughs> yeah. use eggs straight from the fridge. Oh, yeah. Actually, that is a really good tip. Yeah. because I Tell me why. I got a pasta maker, one of those things for my birthday a couple of years ago now. Never used it. And I, I think it was just after we were crapping on about all this shit a few weeks ago. I thought I'm going to crack that thing out. And I just started just sort of from my brain creating um, my own pasta recipe. And that is an awesome tip, that one egg per cup of flour. Because mm-hmm. I did, I think I did two cups of flour and I did three eggs and I was all fucked up. And then when I was, um, and I didn't whisk it first, I just got into it like I would with uh, pierogi dough or something. And I was getting into it and man, it was like a rock ball of mm. shit. And then... And then I thought, shit, and I persevered and I just just like made it into this dough, but it was almost like clay, right? Sat it on the bench and just went, oh no, I've completely ruined this. So then I Googled it and then something said, leave it on the bench for a while. And I I went and grabbed it and it was suddenly soft. (laughs) It's like, what the hell? And I reckon, and I also read, yeah, because you don't use cold eggs. And I think that probably had something to do with it. And same as water, if you're adding water, it needs to be um, sort of room temperature to warm. Um, but strangely enough, with lasagna, you want it to be as firm as clay, generally. Okay. So then when you, it'll still flatten out when you have the um, the sheet presser. Um, but if they're too, if it's too doughy, then um, the sheets will be a bit too flimsy. Yeah. And uh, it will come out sloppy. Okay. Whereas if you're doing a pizza dough, obviously you want it a bit fluffier and lighter and flippable and all that shit mm. anyway that's cool. cooking with claim the throne for another week <laughs> awesome <laughs> head to claim slash podcast where you can stream this or read all the show notes um we'll put in links to buy the latest lasagna making tools <laughs> and um <laughs> or the apogee jam or some cool shit that we've chatted about uh and whatever else we've said, uh, some cool tunes. We'll have links to all those bands we were discussing uh, in the podcast. And um, if there's anything you've been checking out or anything you want to let us know about, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual shit. Just go to claimthethrone.com and you'll find everything you need. There's a contact page where you can send us funny messages, which we guarantee we'll read out on air on the next podcast. Uh, Let us know what you think about Kempers or Japanese bands from Finland, etc. One last tip that I forgot to chuck in the show, and I'll make it brief because you have to bugger off. Go to eBay and find Heavy Devi Records because Devin, yep. Devin Townsend is selling off a bunch of his shit to finance, and this is an interesting topic in itself, to finance um, a 5.1 surround mixing setup for his new project. <laughs> and he's got up there at the moment, which would interest you, is a Roland FC 300 foot pedal, which is kind of like your Behringer, but yep. it's currently going for $200 with eight bids. Um, mm-hmm. And it's his personal thing. Bunch of picks, bunch of signed CDs, a few bits of recording gear. He's got this TC electronic interface for, at the moment, 100 bucks with two bids and that he allegedly used it on two of the recent Devin Townsend Project albums. What yeah. is crazy though, with 43 bids currently going for four and a half grand, 
is a 1992 custom Ibanez RG, six string, um, volume knob, no tone. It's got a reverse headstock and it was actually commissioned by Steve Vai to Ibanez to make for Devon Townsend when he was touring with Steve Vai back then. Wow. Um, yeah, and that thing just looks like an RG, but it's pretty sweet bit of history there, like having been bought by Vi for Devon and then used on tour. Um, that Yeah, four and a half grand though. And then there's another custom seven string uh, PV one on there that's going for even more. So yeah, pretty <laughs> crazy. If, if anyone's just interested in having a look, those things have still got like five days on them. So just have a look, just out of interest, see what those kind of heirlooms are worth to to fans out there and it and just goes to show what he's willing to let go from his personal collection in order to make some new music down the track yeah that's super interesting i just brought up his page now so i'll be going through that as well mm. awesome cool good tip tip of the week sweet all right cabba i'll let you go eat your probably lentil based curry <laughs> i think i actually think it might be an omelet oh also pretty so, good whatever it's all good sweet mate top of the muffin to you yeah and also with you I'll uh, see you next week (laughs) cool cheers thanks bye